This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Circle to Hedman. Tease it up. Shoot! Score! Hedman! The Lightning win it! They win it again in overtime! This series is over! The Lightning win it! 3-2 in double overtime! And they're on to the Eastern Conference Final! Oh, yes, yes. Can you say Game 7? I know you can, but for the Lightning, you've got to wait a couple more days because the Flyers stave off elimination in overtime again to force Game 7. They rallied from deficits of 3-2 and 4-3. Ivan Provorov scored the game winner at 15:03 of the second overtime, so Philly avoids elimination for the second time. In a three-day span, and they force a Game 7 in in its second-round series against the Islanders. So, so, that's where we are. Let me bring in my partner, Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick producing. I am Greg Winelli, Bobby the Chief Taylor, joining us in about 10, 15 minutes or so. And, you know, the first thing that sticks out to me, Dave, forget about matchups, but the Lightning, I think, are in a really good position if you believe the rust factor might not be a huge issue. If you're one that believes being off all this time will lead to some rust and possibly going down 0-1 in a best of seven, regardless of who the team is, then yes, that would be a little bit of a concern. But the flip side of that is you got two teams and the Flyers and the Islanders who are playing really hard hockey right now. And if the advantage of having shorter series is that the benefit is you can jump on your next opponent who hasn't had shorter series in that next round, then the Lightning have an opportunity to really take advantage of the situation they've put themselves in. Time will tell, and we'll find out most likely on Monday here, but I think if you're the Lightning, you're enjoying the Flyers and the Islanders, just go at it, and we'll all watch a Game 7 on Saturday. Yeah, I'm curious to get Chief's take on the rest versus rust dynamic. Ooh, I like that. Well, I didn't make that up. John That's Cooper was asked about that <laughs> yesterday <laughs> when he met with the media over Zoom. And what he said was rest is ultimately more important. What you worry about with rust, he said a lot of it's the mindset. And he actually felt that the Lightning's practice yesterday after they had had a couple of days off with with no practice, yes, was a lot more crisp than he actually expected. So I guess that's a good sign. And I know that there has been talk on our show and during the regular season about how when the Lightning have a break, sometimes they come out of that break and are not at the top of their game. You remember that game right after Christmas against Montreal, and that was only, what, a three-day break. Right. And they had that horrendous start against the Canadians, which they ended up winning that game. That was early in their 23-2-1 stretch. So they did win the game, but they were down 2 nothing halfway through the first and were getting outshot, whatever it was, 17 or 18 to nothing. And then the other example that I've heard is after the bye week and the Lightning played a game in Dallas and they ended up losing in overtime. I didn't think that they played as bad badly in that game as they did at the start of the Montreal game but the one difference is that in the bye week situation and in the shorter break for the holiday break over Christmas 
there's no practice time, essentially. The players are completely off. This is a little bit different in that John Cooper gave his team a couple of days off, but they're going to be practicing now. So it's not like they're going to be away from the ice and timing purposes and you know sloppy habits might creep in because you've been away from it. They're not going to be away from it. They're going to be away from game action. But hopefully the Lightning can use the practice time to, to keep their game as sharp as, as they possibly can in advance of game one of the Eastern Conference Final. But they are going to have to wait a few more days now because the Flyers won last night. They did, and they won in dramatic fashion. Let's touch on that game, Dave, before we, we get the Chief. I know some people had some questions on Twitter regarding some other topics from yesterday's show that we can get into as well. The Flyers could become the second team to win three straight games in overtime when facing elimination, which is really a, a fascinating stat. And you know, we talk about the Provorov goal and great on that, but you know, Lawton and what he was able to do again to tie things up. I mean, just making a play and undressing. For Lama, for a goal. It was it was a thing to watch. It was a thing of beauty. And the Islanders outshot the Flyers 53-31. to 31, But, you know, Barry Trotz said after the game, we're facing some adversity now. And I think teams that win games 5 and 6, this is from NHL.com, after trailing a Series 3-1, are 29-28. and 28. So basically, it's 50-50 it's to see what happens here, which is probably what you would expect in an environment like that. What did you take away from the Flyers getting the Islanders in two overtimes? Well, first of all, I remember that other series, and I was in my mid-20s. I remember following the series. I'm not sure that I stayed up to watch all the games because <laughs> it was out west, but Vancouver right. and Calgary. And that was either in the first round or the second round, and then they were called the division semifinals and the division finals. But the Canucks were down... 3-1 in that series and they won games five six and seven all in overtime and they won five and seven on the road and I know Burray scored the game seven winner and I think he scored one of the other overtime winners too on the breakaway how else would Pavel Burray score right like if you're in Calgary you're like how are we allowing a breakaway to Pavel Burray right in overtime and of course that was the year the Canucks got to the Stanley Cup final and lost to the Rangers and the Rangers broke that long drought for them but I digress so you asked about last night's game it's fascinating to watch kind of the ebbs and flows within a series so if we rewind again my general take in the first three games of the Islanders Flyers series was that aside from kind of a blip in the early part of game two I felt like the Islanders had established and maintained their tight defensive structure. They had not given the Flyers much. And while the Flyers also play with a tight defensive structure, and they certainly showed it in the round robin, and they showed it against Montreal in the games where they got the lead, and we talked about that too, how the Flyers have been dynamite with the lead heading into the Islander series, but have struggled when they actually fell behind. And until the Islander series, they had not, rallied to win a game when they had trailed at any point in in a game and I think that narrative kind of continued in the early part of the series where the Islanders were d up really well and 
the Flyers had not been able to rally when they had fallen behind. The one difference was the Islanders had shown a capacity to rally. Like in game two, they were down 3 nothing, and they ended up tying that game. Flyers won in overtime. So heading into the fourth game, I thought that was the first game where the Islanders blinked a little bit defensively, and maybe because the Flyers were down in the series, they started pressing the attack more. And I did not think the Islanders were great defensively in game four, even though they won. Their coach said the same. He said after game four, that was our worst game in the playoffs to that point. But the Islanders won it. They scored off a couple of bad pinches by the Flyers in the offensive zone, two goals, and they had capitalized on a turnover by the Flyers to score another goal, and they won the game 3-2. So you go into game five. Now the Flyers are facing elimination. I thought the Flyers carried the day in game five up until the last five minutes where they're basically in control of the game and the Islanders popped in a couple of goals to send the game to overtime and then it was fire wagon hockey. I mean, Carter Hart saved the Flyers' season early in overtime in game five before Lawton scored on the tip and and won the game for the Flyers. But aside from the fact that the Islanders rallied late and had chances to win the game in overtime, I really felt that that was a game the Flyers deserved. They outplayed the Islanders. They, I believe the Islanders only had 13 shots through two periods and hadn't had a lot going on until they made their rally late. So if you recall in yesterday's show, Greg, you asked me about this series, and I said, if you're the Islanders or you're a fan of the Islanders, I think you would like to see your team be more impactful throughout the game and not just in the last five minutes. Whereas if you're the Flyers, you want kind of a repeat of what happened in game five where you're dictating play. Well, we know what happened. I mean, the Islanders dominated the game yesterday. They absolutely dominated that game. And 13 must be the weird number because the Flyers only had 13 shots in game six after two periods. The Islanders got two separate leads after they fell behind early. They're up 3-2, and then they're up 4-3 going into the third. And normally, that's lights out. And the third period started that way. The Flyers did not have a shot on goal in the third period until the halfway point when Lawton scored. So it kind of fit the narrative of how the Islanders have had success But the one problem the Islanders had, and I'm talking about before we got to overtime, the one problem the Islanders had, and I guess it was was a a problem that happened four times because the Flyers scored four goals. The Flyers didn't have much puck possession. They didn't have much activity in the Islanders' end. But when they got chances, they were phenomenal chances. Yeah, You think about Hayes open in the slot, buries it. Van Riemsdyk's goal. I mean, maybe that's one Varlamov should stop. It's kind of under his arm a little bit. But it's still an open look off the rush for Van Riemsdyk, where he's in the clear. The third goal, it was a tough shift for the Islanders. I think they had tired guys out on the ice. It was a rare instance of that. But Raffles left unguarded in front and has a slam dunk rebound. That's a great A. And then the tying goal, like you said, is a breakaway where Taves can't settle a puck down. It's a power play that's almost over, and Lawton's goal came after the power play and ended for the Islanders, so it was even strength. But it started with the Flyers on the penalty kill, and because the Islanders are on the power play, they only had one defenseman out there, Taves, and he's the one who gets handcuffed by the puck. So in that situation, 
I mean, I don't know how Barry Trotz is going to talk it over with Taves, but you're up one, power play's winding down. It's kind of a, a hot potato puck coming back to the blue line. Maybe that's a situation where you back off rather than try and hold it in. But he did try and hold it in, skipped past his stick. Now you got Bailey as the other defenseman because he's playing the left point in the power play. He's trying to recover, and Lawton busts up ice and, and gets the breakaway and scores. So the chances that the Flyers had, while really infrequent, were extremely dangerous, and they cashed in on it. And that's how you offset the territorial advantage that the Islanders had. And that really continued, I mean, in my mind, it continued in the first overtime. The Flyers had some activity, but boy, was Carter Hart good. He was so good in that game, a game in which he gave up four goals. He made a save on Anders Lee in the first overtime. I cannot believe he got he, he got over with his left pad. We've seen Anders Lee score a lot of goals in just that spot. It's a shot to the net. Right. Can't remember if it was blocked or Hart made the save, but it comes to kind of the other side almost of the crease. Lee has position. The puck is on his backhand. It looks like all he has to do is slide this thing into the net, and it's it's lights out. And Hart gets over and makes the left pad save. It was incredible, incredible save for Carter Hart. And he was under siege at points in the overtime as well. The second overtime, I just looked it up. The Islanders, surprisingly, only had two shots because I thought they were still getting really dangerous looks in the second overtime, but I guess they missed the net. On some of them, they had a lot of close calls. And then the winning goal, we saw it in the Boston series for the Lightning with Zach Bogosian. Break your stick on a on a nothing play. It's a nothing play for Mayfield. All he tries to do is put the puck down low at the point. His stick snaps. And he's trying to get back. He knows he's in trouble. He's trying to get to the bench to get a stick because Hayes is countering. And Hayes makes such a smart play. Because if he stays in the middle of the ice, Mayfield maybe has time to get to the bench and get a stick, like skating backwards, grab a stick and, and get back in the play. But Hayes recognizes it, so he actually goes to Mayfield's side. So now Mayfield leaves his position, Hayes has an open path, maybe to the net. So Hayes can't get a stick. I'm sorry, Mayfield can't get a stick. And then Hayes carries it in the zone, the Islanders collapse on him and he feeds it back to Provorov, who gets a pretty good look from the high slot and scores to win it. So what a game. I mean, that was that had a lot of everything, but it, it was a complete departure from what we saw in Game 5, except sure. for the fact that both games went to overtime and the Flyers won both games. And Carter Hart was, was sensational in both overtimes for Philadelphia. It's really been the question. You know, what type of goaltending was Philadelphia going to get? They thought he was going to be the guy, and that's why they invested what they did into him, Dave. And, you know, maybe it's starting to really pay off. And as I told you before, I, I think the Flyers are a really intriguing team because I think they have a lot of really good pieces. And, you know, maybe now they have the coaching and the emphasis on defense. We'll talk about this with Bobby the Chief Taylor, who – obviously has a, a pretty good pulse on what's happening in Philly, but they're going to have to play better though. I mean, if you're are. the Flyers for, for game seven, they can't afford, they I mean, final shots, like you said, 53, 31, but the Flyers had eight shots in the second overtime. So that means in four periods, they had only 23 shots on yeah. net. And I can 
I'm not willing to take it to the bank, but I would strongly suggest or expect, that's the right word, that the Islanders will not be giving up those kinds of grade-A chances in Game 7 because their bread and butter is shutting down the other team's attack. And I don't think that they had a great Game 4 defensively. I thought they were off in Game 5. They were much, much better in terms of limiting shots and possession time for the Flyers in Game 6 but they gave up some some prime scoring chances. So if you're the Flyers, you can't expect that you're going to get those kinds of looks unless you have more possession time in Game 7. But they've done it. They've done it before in the series. I thought that they they kind of played that sort of game where they had a lot of possession in Game 5. We'll talk to Chief when we return. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lunelli. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Greg Linnelli, Dave Mishkin with you. Glad you're with us on a Friday as we still await who Tampa Bay will play on Monday. The Islanders or the Flyers. Dave and I talked about that in the first segment. I wanted to get to a couple of tweets, Dave, from our listeners who... Uh, chimed in yesterday on some of the topics that we had discussed. Travis, when it came to the question regarding which player has elevated their play the most or stood out maybe the most right now during these playoffs, and Travis says, it's got to be Palat. He's had about the same amount of clutch goals as Point, but Point has been absolutely electric. Brian Burns, I saw, I think, was did an article about that, about how Braden Point... And this always happens, Dave, I think, on a national stage when guys perform well. Maybe they're not getting the national recognition that they deserve. But, you know, Burnsy, I think, was making the point. I think a lot of people have that, you know, is, is Braden Point outside of the mainstream becoming a little bit more of a household name? Or should he? You know, with guys like Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, and you put up numbers in the playoffs at the right time, especially with a team that's as talented as Tampa Bay. That really stands out. Um, I think you are going to get praise. And I think that really happened the fastest skater competition a couple years ago at the NHL All-Star Game. I think a lot of people took notice of point then, you know, even if that may seem hollow in many ways because it's just a skill competition. But I think a lot of people looked at and said, wow, bringing point can fly. And then you factor in, this is a guy who hit 40 goals. He can play offense. He can play defense. And he's really leading the way offensively. You can start to see why um, he, you could make a case. He's one of the top five, top 10 most dynamic players in the NHL right now. So when Bernsey asked John Cooper that question, kind of leading with this premise that Point has not gotten the recognition that maybe he deserves. Coop, in his usual tongue-in-cheek manner, said, well, every highlight that that I've seen he's been in. So that's true. I mean, you scored two overtime goals in the playoffs, including one in a fifth overtime. You're going to be on the highlights. Right. I guess I look at it this way. As far back as maybe 17-18 that season, you hear other teams and other coaches talk about the Lightning. They are aware of Braden Point. 
I think it was that year that John Tortorella with Columbus mentioned that, however he said it, you know, points really the engine of that team. And this is several years ago. I can't remember if it was 1718 or maybe it was early in 1819, but I think it was 1718, which was only points second NHL season. So look, we can't control what the national narrative is, but in the hockey circles, the the small hockey circles, which you're talking about teams, coaches, management, players who have to compete against one another, the hockey world knows how good Braden Point is and has known for a while. Now, we said yesterday that he maybe has elevated his game even more. And Eric talked about, Eric Erlinson was our guest yesterday, talked about his health and the fact that he's fully healthy now. But he's also got more experience. And Brian Engblom, who we had on two days ago, talked about that relating to point that you know, just being in the league longer helps in that regard. You know what you can do. You know what you're capable of in terms of, I don't want to say like what you can get away with, but that's kind of what Brian was saying. Like, you you know you know what works and you know what, what isn't going to work. And because you've done it repetitively, you you do what works with confidence. And I think we're seeing that from, from Pointer. And the fact that he's played for, you know, multi-years now with Kucherov who is, you know, such a gifted offensive player and and that has helped point. At least that's what Brian said. So I mean, we can't control what the national media talks about, but I think that where it matters most, people understand exactly the impact that point has on the lightning and has on games. And it's clear that he's been extremely valuable in this playoff year for the Lightning. Wonderful. Dave Michigan there, Greg Manelli here. Steve, do we have Chief? Yes. Did I hear something? Yes, we have Chief. Great. We've got Bobby the Chief Taylor, and he is with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We'll get into that question a little bit more with Chief. But, Chief, how are you doing? Did you take in the double overtime game last night, Flyers Islanders? I fell asleep after the regulation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we, Brian and Rick and I went out golfing yesterday, and, you know, it's like playing on the sun right now. It's just ridiculous how hot it was. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I watched the uh, regulation, and then I just couldn't stay awake any longer. <laughs> but it, I, I'll tell you what, that Connor Hart is, uh, is a deal, real deal, you know, I think. This kid, uh, watching him move, watching him how he, he recovers so well, and his, his, his positioning is really strong. They've, they've probably have finally found a goalie since Bernie. <laughs> Or we'll say Hextall. Well, Chief, if you fell asleep after regulation, you do need to go and find heart save on Anders Lee in the first overtime. We were talking about that in the first segment. I mean, in the last two games in the overtimes, Hart has saved the Flyers' season probably no less than five or six times with <laughs> saves on tremendous scoring chances. But this looked like it was a sure goal. I mean, Lee gets the rebound. He's on his backhand. He has position in front of the net. It looks like the net is wide open, and Hart somehow recovered and, and made a left pad save on him. Are you maybe surprised is the wrong word, but the fact that he is still very young in his development, that he is making the kind of impact that he is making, I guess how unusual is it for, for a young goalie with – 
with not that much experience under his belt to come in and have the kind of impact that Hart is having. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I thought Vassy was something like that too, but, you know, it took yeah. him a couple, a couple of years because we still had Bishop. But, you know, and, and especially too, like, not just the game pressure and, and the mental pressure you're putting yourself in the games, but, you know, I went 22 years in that Philadelphia town, and boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, just the outside pressure's on you to perform. And, and you know what? The funny part of it is, is they, they want you to win, but they want you to really play well and, and give it all. And, and this kid... It doesn't seem to phase him. That's the one thing I think he's really got going for him is his calm demeanor. Maybe he's like that proverbial duck on water. You know, he's very calm on top, but paddling like hell underneath. So who knows, you know, but I'll tell you what, I I am so impressed with his positioning, you know, and uh, he he really gets himself into a situation or into um, positions for that rebound. His rebound control is pretty decent, but I mean, knowing where to go and when to go is really, really important. And, and he seems to have mastered that. And yeah, I, you know what, Mish, I am a little surprised at this young age that he's got that already, uh, you know, and uh, he's, he's the biggest factor in, in Philly being still in the playoffs. And uh, one quick follow up on Hart, chief. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. Go ahead. If you had more to say, I thought you were. Done. No, no, I was just saying, and I, I said, and he's convinced me. <laughs> so in game five, the Flyers had a 3-1 lead with five minutes left. Islanders tied it. The commentators on NBC, and Brian Boucher is one of the commentators who played the position, played for the Flyers. He felt that both the 3-2 goal and the 3-3 goal that Hart allowed were, were kind of on Hart. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on it. I felt Brock Nelson's shot was a great shot where there were Flyer, de- flyer defenders in between Hart and Nelson. So it went in, it's 3-2. But there's no question that the tying goal is on Hart because it's a pass through the blue paint. He didn't get his stick down. It goes to the back door, and Broussard puts it in. And then, as I mentioned, Hart comes back in overtime and completely shakes off that goal and makes several saves on in-alone chances for the Islanders, which would have won the series for the Islanders. How hard is that as a goalie when you know that we're still playing because something I did, I messed up, and shake that off, and, and you hear about it a lot, worry about the next save, but Hart actually did that in that fifth game. How difficult is that to do when the stakes are as high as they are right now? In some cases, it's not, because you know that you messed up. So in other words, you just bite the bullet even harder and then you really, you become more determined not to, to let them score. It, it, it's almost like a, a motivating factor when that happens. And, and by the way, I, you know, where Boucher is sitting in behind the glass there, he doesn't see 80% of the stuff that goes on in front of that net. I just, I end up yelling at the TV at him all the time. I just wake up. You know, I mean, you know, you've got to see those shots right off the bat. But the thing is too, about that pass through the crease though, Mish, that's the one thing that Vashi's really starting to do really well. You know how he gets his paddle down and blocks those passes coming out from behind the net, the corner and all that? That was We were taught that all along because we didn't fall down because we had no equipment from the waist up, basically. And we used our stick a lot more. But I think for his demeanor, I mean, I think it just, like, he's got that attitude where, you know what, you're not going to beat me. I'm You can shoot 
150 pucks to me and you're not going to beat me. And I think that really helps him when, yeah, it wasn't a, the greatest of goals, but I think that was a motivating factor for him to come back. And, and, and I've seen it throughout the year and I've seen it, you know, especially these playoffs where, you know, he'll see it get, a, it'll be a goofy goal and, you know, sometimes he'll get deflected or something like that. And, and his positioning wasn't right, but he comes right back. That's, that's a great sign. We've seen Vassy do that too. And those are the guys that, that really work at the craft. And it's, I think it's just their makeup. It's, you know, it's just the, um, the inside thing that, you know, you beat them once, you're not going to beat them twice type of thing. But I, I think that's what's happening with this young kid. This kid is, he's very, very strong willed. And for a young 22 year old, I mean, uh, you know, he was a, pr a pretty good goalie in junior, but I mean, if he was as great as we've seen him now, you know, and that's the thing of stigma about a goaltending is like an offensive lineman. You don't get drafted in the first round very often. You always get, you're always about the third or fourth round pick because, you know, it's so questionable because you're so young at 18. But this kid, boy, oh boy, he's just getting better and better. And in my mind right now, he's in one of the top five in the league. Chief, regardless of who wins this series between the Islanders and Flyers, who's going to have the advantage in Game 1 when they take on the Lightning? Not necessarily for the series, but the start of it. Do you believe that rust is a factor, and do you believe the team that Tampa Bay plays will have some maybe dead legs to deal with? Uh, there could be there, because you know what? They're going to play Saturday night, and then they're going to fly out right after the game, right? To go back west, uh, I think the Lightning are flying in Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, to Edmonton. So they'll have at least a full, well, we'll say at least a, a, a three-quarters of a day head start on, on the Islanders and getting acclimated to the chime change. But you know what, guys? It's really funny to me. I Sometimes, I mean, I've done both. You know, I, I can remember playing in Oakland one time and then had to go back um, and play Saturday afternoon in Boston against Bobby Orr and the group. And that was the one Mitch that I always talk about. It was his turn. Hadn't played for eight weeks. It was his turn. <laughs> and the, the time change um, coming back east is, is uh, a little bit harder than going west for some strange reason. I don't know why. But I think that when you, when, when you get out there, it, it's, it throws your body clock off. It takes you at least a day. You see a lot of teams now going out two days ahead of time rather than just the day before and getting in there the night before. And I would think the first game probably would be, plus the fact that whoever wins, they're going to have this big sigh of relief that, oh, my gosh, we finally got to the finals, you know, or, or we finally got rid of that, that um, um, uh, quarterfinal monkey off our backs type of thing. So for me, I, I think the first game probably would favor Tampa Bay be, just because of the, the travel restrictions and, and that uh, mental thing, like, oh man, now we got to get backed up again. And when you're tired, it's harder to jack your mental, mental toughness up as, again. We had talked about how like the home ice advantage in this weird playoff year, what it means is you get the last change. And yeah, we've seen road teams, the team in the white jersey, we'll call it. Yeah. The team in the white jersey has won a lot so far. So maybe the matchups aren't as important as we think, or they're not impacting games maybe as much as they might still moving forward. But I did want to ask you about Yanni Gord's line. 
because for much of the regular season and even going back to last year, Anthony Sorelli and his line mates this year, usually Kalorn and another guy, would see the opposition's top forward line. And remember a couple of years ago in the playoffs, Braden Point had that role. Remember he was matched against Bergeron's yep. line in the 2018 series, playing with Pilat and Johnson that year. But Gord got moved on to the Bergeron line assignment in the Boston series. And whoever the Lightning get in the next round, if it's the Islanders, you would figure the Barzell line, although they do have a pretty deep group of forwards. But Barzell is definitely their game breaker. And maybe the Drew line if it's if it's the Flyers. Would you expect that that would continue, that it's actually the Gord line, based on how well they forecheck and, and have played with the puck, that they may see the assignment of the other team's top forward line, to the extent the Lightning can get the matchup? Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I don't think Sorelli's line's had a very good playoff so far. I, You know, I mean, when you take a look at a couple of the goals that were tied, you know, he was on the ice and not really looking around for the danger. And, and, and I, you know, they do have the two that, you know, that uh, that second line of theirs uh, is pretty good, the Islanders. You see, Boston, the line matchups, final matchup was, was, would be really good against a team like Boston because Boston only had that one line. And going into that final game, they only had three guys that scored goals for them in that whole playoff series against us. And then Krejci tied the game late, and that's that's the type of play I'm talking about, you know, where he was in behind and, and Shrelly never even looked around, never looked around to see where the danger was. And that's that's the thing that has kind of puzzled me. You know, he's been so good at that, and this, this year in the playoffs he hasn't been. But I think that with the Gordon at, I think the strict um, – deal for him is the fact that we your whole they don't care if you score they want you to go out there and shut that team down shut that line down that, and that's a big important pack factor you know but for me you know the Islanders got two lines that can really hurt you and so that's going to limit that effectiveness somewhat but uh I would expect that line that line seems to I mean they start the games every time you know in every period I think they're the ones that really kind of set the tone for us every game and that really really helps but uh, if there's going to be a big line that you want to shut down, I think that's the line that they're going to use more often than the Sorelli line. Bobby, the Chief Taylor joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Chief, assuming everybody's healthy outside of Stamkos because we just don't know, do you go back to 12-6 and six, or do you like the 11-7? and seven? I like the 11-7. and seven. I really do. I, the reason why I like that is because it it really throws off the, the matchups in the forward position, you know, for those guys. Because you can you can double shift Cooch, you can double shift Point, you can move them down the lineup. You know, the one line that mainly stays intact is that uh, your Gord line, you know, with Coleman and Goodrow. And, you know, you can move those guys up and down the lineup. and That makes it a big different, difficult thing for a coach to match up that way. I, I, I really like that. You know, and and one of the things that's really is making it so successful is the play of Shen and the play of of Coburn when they got in there. They played really, really well. Everybody thinks, well, the coaches did a great job. The coaches will do will let you play if you're playing well. If you don't play very well, you know, you're going to be on the pine uh, practically the whole game. But those guys took it the bit in their mouth and just took off and really played well. I I, I like the heaviness as well that those, those guys bring. And, and I would think, too, you know, with McDonough back in Atlanta, you're probably going to see Shen playing more 
than than Colburn. But Braden Braden plays both sides. I mean, you got to go back for his time in Philadelphia. He played the right side with team in it for about six or seven years. So playing the right or playing the left isn't that big an adjustment for him. So I just I just like that idea with the seven guys, and you can rotate and you get more big bodies in there. And uh, I think that uh, the matchups on the forward line, though, makes it more difficult for the other team. No matter who wins tomorrow, Flyers or Islanders, the Lightning will be getting a really good opponent in the Eastern Conference Final. Both teams... <laughs> For much of the playoffs, although maybe not in the last couple of games, have have defended very well when they get the lead. Although this series has, as it's progressed, thrown that out the window a little bit. But my question is, what are the differences for the Lightning in the matchup challenges seeing the Flyers as opposed to the Islanders? And what are the similarities between the teams? Well, Philly doesn't play that well in their own end. And that's that really helps you. I mean, they got... Uh, Hart back there, and he's really bailed them out on so many occasions. And uh, you know, it's we've our goal scorers are a little bit, little bit better, I think, than anybody in in this whole series. Maybe not so much. Maybe Vegas is the only one that could probably match them as far as that's concerned. But I like that idea. Like you can, Philly isn't a real solid defensive group. They they're very they're not a very physical team at all. If you watch that series, you know, they got a lot of chance just to take guys out along the boards. I don't mean kill them. I mean, just take them out. And they're just doing the Tinkerbell magic wand stick checking all the time. It's probably why they're getting outshot three to one all the time. The Islanders are, are very good. At, they're almost like Columbus, only with a little more scoring. They've got a little bit better block out ability. They play a much stronger game uh, in the slot and in their own end. Uh, Varlamov is very good. He hasn't had a whole lot of second shots, but, uh, I like the matchup against Philly better, mainly because of the fact that they have more holes than the Islanders. And I think that they've got a very young defense. Uh, their whole, their whole defense in their scheme of things has to rely on heart. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there's times when we have to rely on Vashi. There's no question about it, but it's not as much in this playoff series as we have in the other in the last five. Bobby, the Chief Taylor joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Chief has Coleman and Goodrow, especially if they started to. I don't want to say surprise you with their play because I think you knew what they could do. We just hadn't seen it consistently yet, but it feels like recently we are really starting to see the value of those two guys. Well, Coleman especially, you know, I mean, here's a guy that's a 25-goal scorer in the league, and, and, you know, he hadn't even had a goal. I don't know, but he's had one assist, I think, something like that, and it's starting to go in for him. But I'm, what I like about him is, is the grit that they bring. You know, they play with a sandpaper edge, and that's what we've kind of lacked up on the front line or in the forward line, really. We haven't had, uh, you know, outside of Maroon for a while, you know, and then Paquette every once in a while, but... Now we've got about five or six guys up there that can play that way. And the one thing that, I, that people don't look in the, those so-called experts in the National Hockey League and the NHL uh, network, only Dallas has had more hits than we have. They all think we're still that team of about four or five years ago where we'd rather outscore you than outplay you. And that hasn't been the case. This year, we're going to outplay you rather than outscore you. And that's been a big difference in their mindset. They don't need to win by five goals. They can win by one, by three, you know, three, two, two, one. They can do that right now. And that's that's a really, and I think it goes back to those guys. 
that they really concentrate on making sure that they don't get scored on. You know, I, and yet, like, the, uh, you know, our power play hasn't worked with the darn. The penalty kill has been very good. You know, and Miss, you've heard me say this a lot. But, you know, Scotty Bowman told me one time that your, your special teams have to add up to at least 100%, if not more. So if you've got a 15% power play, you better have uh, an 85 to 90% uh, penalty kill. And it, it kind of offsets one another. And that's the one thing that we've done pretty well. Our penalty kill has been really good. Power play, eh. Vasilevsky's had an excellent playoff so far. What are you seeing from him? He's finding the puck early, Mitch. <clears throat> that's, it's so important for a goalie. That, that shot comes at you so quick. And you have to really find the puck as quickly as possible. And you can't move until you find it. Sometimes you'll find goalies, will, you know, when you see he's all over the place. Well, that, you know, like a Mrazic, you know, he, he's a guy that moves before he really finds the puck. And so you call him a guesser, and if he's guessing right, then he looks like a million dollars. If he's not, then they, they fill the net on you. But he, Bassey finds that puck quickly, and he gets in position quickly. And his rebound control has been awesome, I think. Really, really good. The only thing is that sometimes he gets a little bit too fancy when he gets out to handle the puck. A lot of times you want the guy to stop and get out of the way. You know, there's a couple of times where he waits too long, and the, the what that does is the guys that are coming back to get the puck, mainly the defensemen, they don't know what you're going to do. So they have to slow down, which which helps that forechecker get in there faster. So I'd like to see him just clean that up a little bit, you know, get in and get out, stop the puck, get out, and get back in that net. But I think the key thing for me is that he's finding that puck early and always getting set. Chief, anything, we're here with Bobby the Chief Taylor on Power Lunch, anything else surprising you out west maybe outside of what we've seen so far in the east? <laughs> I didn't think Vancouver was that good. I'll tell you that. That Dallas team is really, really, or excuse me, Vegas team is a really good team from top to bottom. And I'm just surprised. I mean, oh, of course, you know, that Thatcher Demko, I mean, he just came out of the blue. And, you know, for a guy that just started his first two Stanley Cup playoff games ever, he, oh, he's been unbelievable. But um, that's, they, they have really surprised me. Uh, you know, they've got a good young team. They've got some really good young players out there. JT Miller's playing extremely well. Um, but the goaltending for them has been outstanding. You know, Markstrom's been around for a while, and it's only within the last two years that he's really stepped to the, up and become a, a pretty good goalie, almost in the top echelon of goaltenders in the league. But, but Demko, I'll tell you what, what he has done the last two games, it, this series would have been over if he wasn't in that net. That's a good point. Chief, we appreciate it. Thank you for taking time to talk to us, and hopefully we're talking about Game 1, hopefully on Monday. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chief. All right. That is Bobby the Chief Taylor joining us here on the show. When we come back, we'll wrap things up as we get you set for the weekend. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's the Power Lunch on Lending Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Always good to catch up with Bobby the Chief Taylor. It's always good to get his perspective, too, on the goaltender situation and even, Dave, what it's like to play in Philly. Of course, he did that for a number of years and what it's like playing in that market. But Vassy and Hart, two young goaltenders who Chief has a chance to see you know, pretty much regularly. And 
you know, one guy has their team uh, in the Eastern Conference Final, and the other one is trying to get his team there. And that, as we've talked about before, it's always been the question mark, at least since Ron Hextall. What does Philadelphia have on the back end? Whether you completely buy that or not, it's always been the narrative. And I think at least for Philadelphia, they're hopeful he is the guy for the next 15 years. Yeah, the one thing Chief said that surprised me, I guess, a little bit, but then when he said it, it actually makes sense because you talk about how the top goalies have to be strong mentally and how Hart responded after kind of having his fingerprints on the Broussard tying goal in Game 5 and how well Hart regrouped and then played lights out in overtime. Chief actually said when you feel responsible for a goal against it can it can help you <laughs> like it motivates you and that goes to being strong mentally so you can go one of two ways when you feel responsible for letting down your team or or a play is on you in a negative way you could either shrink or you could puff your chest out and say i'm going to make up for that and do it in a in a controlled way not not in an aggressive way that that maybe causes more problems because you're overplaying things, at least in terms of the goaltending position. And I think that certainly is what happened for Hart. I mean, whether he was motivated to, to make up for the Broussard goal or just quickly got dialed back in in that, in that game five overtime, which didn't last as long as the game six, double overtime certainly, but there were a couple of saves that he made that, definitely save the Flyers season so credit to him yeah the, the one other guy that stood out for me by the way Greg from from game six Islanders Flyers was Barzell I mean if the Islanders had won that game you would say uh, he was and even though they lost it I thought he was the best player on the ice he was so dynamic every time he touched the puck it seemed and I heard a stat at one point that his line with Eberly and Lee. That's the that's the line that Barzell plays on. At one point, I think this was after the fourth period. So after the first overtime, getting ready for double overtime, those three guys had combined for 22 shots. The Flyers as a team had 23 shots. And Barzell scores a highlight real goal at the end of the second period. And he just had numerous dangerous opportunities. He's so good in the open ice, kind of like what we were talking about with Braden Point. So it was it was great to see for him and for the Islanders and for the sport that 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 injury that he sustained in the fifth game late, where he got the stick up around his eye, did not prevent him from playing and playing extraordinarily well in Game Six. Guess we can end on a fun note here on the show. Bob weighed in and he said, guys, it would be interesting in this surreal time to hear what your typical game day entails. Preparations, equipments, pregame meetings, postgame review, probably a lot that we all take for granted. Might be fun to hear about. Do you want to go first? You want to go first on that? You want me to go first? Whatever. Um, well, basically, I just turn the mic on and talk. And that's, (laughs) it may sound like that when you hear me, (laughs) but no. um, But you talk so well. I guess. I guess. That's all you need to do. Sometimes it's coherent. Sometimes it's jumbled. (laughs) Who knows? You know, it's funny uh, because my, my situation, Dave, is a little bit different than yours. Obviously you're doing the game. You're, you're calling it with Phil. There's a a different preparation that goes into it. Um, 
and my my wife can attest to this, and it's mainly because you know she's also working from home as well. I have my own little studio that we put together, and it's off to the side, which is nice. But you know, when the kids are being taken care of, you know, right now Gianna's in school and Ilaria's, you know, eleven months, so she's on a decent schedule. So you're not constantly having to to deal with the kids like when when school wasn't there and and Steve and and Dave you guys know this as well you're always uh, there especially with young ones but for the most part you know I I could be in my studio all day Um, and a lot of it is I have a script that I have a lot of it's sponsorships that you put in to make it sound you know decent but it's also getting sound and that is you know part of the preparation that takes the most time. It's not only listening to the, to the lightning sound bites, but also the other team, because I think that is interesting. And then any guests that we have during our Power Lunch show, if I can get a, a few clips from some national writers or somebody else to include in the pregame, just to give you a sense of maybe what they're talking about from a national perspective, I think that's always interesting as well. So to answer your question, Bob, that was kind of a long-winded answer is, I mean, I, I could be in here all day um, you know, a couple hours at a time, either writing the script, taping interviews, getting sound, and then kind of putting it all together. And then, of course, communication's a big deal. You know, we are in the communication industry, but talking to Steve, talking to our, our producer, Jason, talking to you guys, Kaylee and Bernsey, what are we going to talk about? What do you guys want to hit on, uh, if at all? Or do you just want me to kind of steer the ship and we'll kind of go from there? And then, of course, we have the postgame show afterwards. So game days are busy, but... You know, can't imagine doing anything else. Well, and you're talking about your role on the game broadcast, but you're also doing Power Lunch, and you're also doing The Last Call, which I guess is more like Rick talked about the post-game is often reactionary to what happened during the game. But does your prep change for the Power Lunch show that we're doing? Well, As opposed to the pre-game intermission? The the funny thing is, I I think... The preparation for the broadcasts helps prepare for Power Lunch because you're so consumed with the game that anything you see from the game that you don't get to, let's say, in the last call, or you want to, because it's a different audience that we're talking to when you and I are doing the show, you can bring up, and I think it's still relevant. So, uh, yes, I do get to the computer and and prep uh, a couple hours before just to to see what's out there and. You know, social media is a big part of of this too because we do like to interact with the fans and get their ideas, and then of course scheduling the guests. So it doesn't change too much, Dave. I think a little bit. It's just how you present questions and trying to get the audience to participate, obviously more so than an actual broadcast. Well, for me, there's there's the game night, the, the actual game prep for play by play. And then there's this show, and yeah. we've talked about how they are different. They are different. <laughs> and there is also a difference in terms of preparing for play-by-play. There is a difference between the regular season and the playoffs. And in many ways, the regular season, from a preparation standpoint, is more challenging than the playoffs. And maybe that's a little surprising to people because the importance of playoff games is heightened that much is clear but in the regular season 
you're usually seeing a different opponent from game to game, so you have to get a feel for what has been going on with with the new opponent, both in terms of that day and maybe recent history, and making sure you're staying up on everything happening with the Lightning. We've talked about the great job that Brian Burns does on game notes. And so that kind of that is consistent from regular season to playoffs. But, you know, during a normal regular season, you're traveling, you may be getting in in the wee hours of the morning from a road trip. You're seeing a new opponent usually each night. Maybe it's the first time you're seeing an opponent if it's a Western team or the start of a season. And in the playoffs, it's just different because you're seeing the same team. So the the level of kind of overview needed is less because after game one, you know what happened with that team that the Lightning are playing in the previous game. And even at the start of a playoff series, for example, when the Lightning played game one against either the Flyers or Islanders, I will have a pretty good handle on what's been happening with the Flyers sure. and Islanders in recent history. So it is different in the playoffs in that there's so much information out there and you could literally, like you said, spend all day reading about information and, and, and getting different stories. But I think you get a feel for, for what you need. It's kind of like riding a bike. You kind of, you kind of know where to look and what to read and find, I'm talking about stories, not, not the stat information. And I think that you just incorporate that into your day. It may not be actual sitting down to prepare, but you know, I read the clips that that the Lightning provide each day, which gives you an overview of all the the stories that that might be written about the Lightning and their opponent. And you know, uh, really during the regular season, frankly, Greg, I don't watch a lot of hockey not involved, not in which the Lightning are not involved. Yeah, you don't have time. The schedule is so busy, right? That. I'm not sitting down like if the Flyers and Islanders were playing game 62 last night, I'm probably not sitting down and watching that game, but it's the playoffs. You're so watching, you're watching game 61. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I did pay attention last night and I've been paying more. I haven't watched every minute of every playoff game, but I probably watched more hockey in which the Lightning are not playing during this playoff year than I would during the regular season. And then the the Power Lunch show, you know, especially we have a guest, and I, we know who the guest is going to be, thanks to Steve, ahead of time. You know, I think about what sorts of questions I want to ask and, and, you know, listen to the questions you ask, certainly. So that is different, and it does it does require some level of preparation. But I guess the the end of the day, it's it's kind of funny. Like, the level of intense preparation actually decreases once you get into a playoff series sure. just because you're seeing your opponent yeah. game in, game out. And I think that the same is true on some level, on a much more important level, for the teams too. Like Nigel Kerwin and Brian Garlock, the video coaches, they do a lot of pre-scouting in advance when the Lightning are in the regular season for the next opponent. That, that work changes when you get into the playoffs because you're in a series. You're seeing the same team. So, yeah, are they doing a pre-scout right now on the, the Flyers and Islanders? Sure. But when you're in a series, it's more about pulling material from that series primarily to help the coaches and players get ready for the next game. 
And that's all we have to say about that. Well, Dave, great job as always. We appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, hopefully by Monday we're, we're talking about either the Flyers or the Islanders. Either way, it'll be good to talk about an opponent. Yes, sir. Enjoy your weekend, Greg. Thanks. You got it. That is Dave Mishkin. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. I am Greg Linelli, and we will speak to you on Monday from the confines of our beautiful studios. Yes, that would be our home. And we'll do that on Monday. <laughs> Appreciate everybody. Have a great weekend on Lightning Power Play.